Let's go! What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Bingetown TV's coverage of Amazon's The Wheel of Time. So this is our instant reaction talk about episode 7, titled The Dark Along the Ways. So if you're new to the channel, our instant reactions, we try to keep them as instant-y and reaction-y as we can, try to take down some big topics, talk fairly generally about them. Obviously, we're going to have questions. We love the show, so we're going to get into some nitty-gritty stuff. We always end up repeating ourselves on the deep dives, but we're going to try to keep this as short and sweet as possible. If you aren't new, you'll notice that we're down a couple members. And if you're, I guess if you're watching on YouTube, you can see it now. But if you're listening, you'll be able to hear it in a few. But so Luke and Paul are not here, not joining us on this episode. But we've picked up a, a hell of a free agent. Hey. In, uh, in B times. So uh, say hello to the people. Happy to be here. Yeah. Hi to the people. Uh, my name's Brian, and I have been following along with the podcast, with the show since it started. Uh, Kyle's obviously been hyping it up for the whole group, but I have been enjoying it immensely. You know, it's it's really been touted as the heir to Game of Thrones. There's been this fantasy vacuum that needs to be filled by somebody, and this kind of seems like a worthy a worthy person to take that mantle, a worthy person, a worthy show to take over that mantle. So it's really exciting to be in on the ground floor in season one, and season one has been really, really strong so far. I've enjoyed the entire mystery around who the Dragon Reborn is. That's been the main plot line, and by the way, this is the episode where we get the reveal. So what a what a great episode for me to have my first appearance on the podcast. I don't want to get into all the theories that I've had because there's been quite a few, but the biggest one in my head is Rand's dad, okay? When he whips out the sword and just sauces up the Trolloc in episode one real quick, which might still be the most badass sequence in this entire show, because that's a middle-aged man. He knows the way of the sword, clearly. <laughs> When he unsheaths it and we see the uh, the heron, it's a heron, right? Yep. And we see the heron like near the hill. That has to be some White Lotus stuff, like from Avatar The Last Airbender, Uncle Iroh. And there just has to be this band of awesome old people that are well-traveled, just know their shit, and can handle themselves with a sword or weapon, whatever. That's what I'm going with. That's the order of the heron. And that's Tom, what he's got. Tom Maryland falls into that category, right, Pete Toms? Tom Maryland might fall into that category. I've been, like I said, I've been listening to the coverage. So I I definitely, when you started connecting the dots that he might be one of the Forsaken, I don't think he's going to wind up being a Shamael. That would be crazy. But I think Tom Maryland could definitely be one of the Forsaken. And one of the things that I was questioning is, can the Forsaken be around long enough that they're able to pry themselves away from the Dark One and become like good guys? Because it seems like, we don't know anything about Tom Marilyn, but certainly it didn't seem like he was evil. There's a there's a very famous line in the books. It's essentially, and I literally just listened to it because I'm doing a reread of book two, and it's basically that there there's no man or there you can't stay in the shadow long enough to not be able to come back to the light. So it is kind of canonically a thing that you're never too far into the shadow. Ooh. Like that. I like that that's canon. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Give some hope for Matt never being a bad guy, fully hopefully being a bad guy. You know, there's always a chance for redemption if that's the case. So like B. Tom said, the biggest mystery of the season, obviously, has been who is the Dragon Reborn. Like he also said, we get to reveal this episode that it's none other than Rand Althor. So wow. Someone that no one on the podcast has guessed. <laughs> My mother is the only person I know 
that I I think I know that has said it. There's probably some people in my life that are maybe listening to this, like shaking their fist at the air, like I'm <laughs> forgetting about them. But I'm pretty sure my mom is the only one that really guessed it. So she's actually been a rando G since day one. And I know you guys have kind of probably flip-flopped over the the course of this season. So I'm just curious of how we're how we're dealing with Rand now being the Dragon Reborn. I love it, man. I love it. I mean, I was on the the ride or die hill train for Nynaeve, but I always iterated saying that, you know, I've never had a problem with whoever it was going to be. You know, if it was going to be Perrin, Matt, I think any one of them would be a great Dragon Reborn character to follow. And the same goes for Rand. I'm absolutely stoked that it was him. I thought early like on it was going to be him because it was the MC, but then I was like, ah, that's a little too obvious. Then I was on the Nynaeve train for a while and episode four really made me feel like it was Nynaeve. And then they brought it back to it being Rand and they they alluded to it throughout the season. And I just couldn't believe that I just couldn't put it together. And it was still an amazing reveal that even though he did feel like the MC almost, that he was the Dragon Reborn, it still felt like a really good twist. And especially how we saw him, you know, breaking down the door that was only supposed to be broken down by three men. We never really got that explained. We talked about it on the podcast and we were just like, how the fuck did he do that? And we were just like, ah, he just did it. You know, maybe he has superhuman strength, but now it makes a lot of sense. Let's go. Ran for the Dragon Reborn. I'm all in. His character development is going to be crazy. Yeah, I'm thrilled with it. Honestly, my gut was telling me, just like Dave said, I was getting MC vibes from Ran since the beginning of the series. Like they were kind of grooming him. And then when I finally, Kyle, I sent you before I watched the episode, here's my final list of who I think the Dragon Reborn is going to be. Matt was at the top. I think Ran was fourth. And admittedly, I was just like, Emma, here's my list. I'm going to send Kyle. She was just like, oh, the typical white guys at the top. Because I went, yeah, another <laughs> white main character. Are you kidding me? Like white male main character because I had Matt and Rand. And I was just like, yeah, you're not wrong. So I put Rand down to four. <laughs> I, and right? that, just, nice. that just goes to show how good a job they did at keeping the mystery alive. Because all of us were clueless. People that have been dissecting this podcast, oh, for four of who or I guess over for 2, because it was only you and Paul. Luke has read the books. Yeah. I'm happy that it was Rand. Uh, we ride. Yeah, <laughs> I'm happy that you're happy. It was definitely something that I was a little nervous about, because it's not a mystery in the books. It's fairly obvious that Rand is the guy from the get-go. So just, I guess, to give us a quick rundown, Rand has a little bit of kind of like a slideshow of everything that's happened up until this point that was why he was leaning in his head towards thinking he was the one and the hints that they were purposely dropping. So like Dave said, the door that he breaks down was the first hint, but they did it well in that it gets overshadowed immediately by the chase and the dark friend reveal. So you're not even really thinking about it at that point. Then the the dragon mount line when he looks at the mountain and says that, that thing looks familiar. And then, um, <sighs> yeah, and then saving yeah. a queen or I'm sorry, a queen. Jesus. In the um, in the ways they do end up showing that he channeled Tam's the fever dream when he's bringing Tam from like B. Tom's mentioned in the the first episode the Trolloc fight and he's bringing him back to the village and Tam is kind of having this a little bit of a fever dream he's just like saying things about how he found a baby and all this stuff and Rand's kind of like the fuck's going on so that's actually the first seed of doubt that gets sown in his mind something they don't bring up is that Rand when he's in the library when we first meet Loyal is reading that book. That's the the Corinthian cycle, mm. which is the prophecies of the dragon. So obviously if you're not if you're not a book reader, you don't know what the cycle is, but that was a nice little nod where he's the one that first name drops it and is reading it. So I'm just glad that people were okay with it. Cause I was a little nervous to be honest that yeah, the reaction was gonna be, of course it's the the MC vanilla white guy. From your perspective, Kyle, as a book reader who saw this coming, who knew it was going to be Rand, how do you think the show did in portraying him as 
if like you were wiped clean of the books, like, do you think it would have been tough for you to decide to as well? Oh yeah, definitely. I probably would have been on the naive train, especially after episode four. Yeah, but... that's what I really kept harping on that, and that was where my answer came from. But... Yeah, but I, I think honestly, every episode since then has lowered her probability of it. Yes. So like mm-hmm. the whole conversation of how her age being a thing was basically the the main point. Main reason, yeah, is that she just couldn't be it because she was too old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the logic behind me thinking Matt was going to be the Dragon Reborn was the fact that one. It's prophesized to be a little bit ambiguous whether or not they're going to be good or bad. And Matt is the most morally compromised character, but he is also a good family man. You know, he he took care of his sisters. So they've established that he has the good and the bad, and that's mm-hmm. Dragon Reborn. But also, I was going through the list and kind of just like placing all the other characters. Uh, our two girls, Egwene and Nynaeve, they are both already established as the most powerful Aes Sedai in the past thousand years, if they want to pursue that. So they're already special. You got Perrin. He He's a werewolf. He's special for a different reason other than being the Dragon Reborn. And you have Rand, who knocked down the door, which we now know is because he was the Dragon Reborn. But that aside, he could have just been, Joe I don't know. <laughs> Igu- well, he could have been Egwene's warder, who could yeah. also channel and has the strength of four men. And he would be the best war- warder in the history of wardership. And mm-hmm. that would have left Matt, who would have slotted in nicely as the Dragon Reborn, who doesn't really fit the mold you know he isn't the cookie cutter protagonist because he is very flawed um and that would have been a very interesting way to take the series but i'm sure it gives the writer a lot more freedom to pick the character that is rand who is just the perfect protagonist fit the mold (laughs) you know i like your reasonings for why i never really thought of it like that with the mb ambiguity between good and evil within matt and that he didn't because even on this podcast i would theorize options for all the other characters and i never really got to matt and what i thought he was going to be so i really like the logic that you had in thinking it's matt honestly if i hadn't seen this episode just based off that i would have been like oh yeah fuck naive it's matt you know like that makes sense i like that you're thinking along those lines of the moral the moral ambiguity and kind of they have been dropping those breadcrumbs a little bit of is the dragon good is he bad and i think Mm. it'll be interesting to look back as we see more seasons and go on this journey with these characters and think about the fact that rand was the vanilla main character guy and then see after basically every season checking in on what they all were like in season one and it's going to be fun to look back at the development and, and see the way that they change just such a good ride rand has one of the best character arcs of any character i've watched read anything so i think that if you have some reservations that it is rand they'll very quickly i think get washed away as we as we move forward i love to hear that and something i want to talk about too is just this connection that all quote unquote five of these you know candidates have um we saw it in episode uh two i believe it was when they all have the dream which I'm now curious. I wish. I wonder if Nynaeve had that dream with the the uh, the crow coming out of the dead crow coming out of the mouth. Um, so there's that connection that we also get in the beginning of this episode or like middle of this episode with um, the seer who says, "Yes, there's a clear connection between all four of them." What is that connection going to mean for the rest of our group? So is Rand just going to be the main head of this five-headed dra- Hydra Dragon Reborn, and the other four are still going to be support, or are they going to be important in other ways that maybe aren't? around being the dragon reborn or you know involving the dragon reborn so just something i'm interested to look out for in in the upcoming seasons and potentially next episode i think that the the whole mystery of the dragon and who it ends up being is 
It's very, it's like the prologue. I mean, it's really not the point of the story. Like now it feels like we can actually get going. Like we know who it is. We can leave that mystery behind and everyone else can now like the things that happen to them. It doesn't have to be, oh, would that mean they're going to be the dragon? It's now they're kind of their own characters. And I, I'm really excited to to see how people now begin to react as everyone branches off. I will. I do want to say, though, for the purposes of this series, or I guess a better way to say it is for the purposes of the TV adaptation, in order to capture the fan base, this was a great mystery, if only for the first half of the first season. To keep this mystery going, that that was what I cared about finding out the most. But now that I'm seven episodes deep in the show, I've come to appreciate it for the show as a whole and not just care about that, of course. But that was something that could get someone hooked. That was a very good mystery to be following. I, and they came at the right time, too. Like, if this, if the Dragon Reborn, if we had to wait, like, you know, two seasons to find out who it was, you know, you might have lost some audience members in that gap. It's like, oh, they should have just told us at, at like the end of episode eight of season one. But right here at the seven, it gives us the reveal. And then at eight, it gives us, it'll hopefully give us a little demonstration of what that means for Rand becoming the Dragon Reborn. And so I think it couldn't have come at a better time. And I really do like the idea that. This is just the prologue. I'm sure that was a big question that could have been like for the whole entire series of the show, but getting it right here is a really good point in time and it's only going to go up from here. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm glad that people are okay with the fact that it's Rand, which is good because I mean, like I said, it, it, it literally won't matter. (laughs) It like it's, everyone has their own amazing storylines. So there's just, there's going to be something for everyone in any of these characters. So to move on, obviously we had to talk about the Dragon Reborn stuff first. That's the the heavy hitter of the episode. But the episode actually opens with an amazing scene, which is we get an Aielman, an Aiel woman, and she is just there's no other way to say it. She's just kicking fucking ass in the snow while pregnant. My jaw was on the floor at this cold open. I think it might be it's definitely my favorite of the entire season. Beat times, I'm gonna call you out because you just said Roose Bolton's fight in episode one was like you're one of or how did you describe it? I said that was probably the most badass sequence of the series so far. I'd probably stay with that because I liked the stakes and he wasn't Mm. a warrior at that point. He was he was a vet. He was an old man defending his homestead and his child. We're talking about pregnant woman defending her homeland and a child as well. Hey man, you came at me. I was, I was just I know, trying I know. to defend my defend. argument. Man. Yeah. But for me, that like how you felt about that scene is how I felt for this scene. It was just I don't think it, I've ever seen, honestly, in any TV shows or movie, a pregnant, like a nine month pregnant, like about to give birth yeah. woman fuck up people who are like trained warriors as well. And just with such ease too. well, maybe not with such ease because she was clearly in pain from the, the contractions. But still, at the end of the day, like she handled it so well. And then Watching it with my roommate Alki was really funny because he's the whole time. Yeah. I was like, "That's Rand's mom. That's Rand's mom." And it was like, "That's Rand's dad." And like, it was just so funny. And I'm like, "Dude, I I love the theories because I didn't. I honestly wasn't sure where this was going. And I now that you said it, like, that's definitely what it is. But it's just a really epic scene to get into the 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 reveal. Sorry, I was stuttering right there. The reveal of <laughs> Rand becoming the Dragon Reborn. We get his awesome backstory. So I love that. It also highlights just how badass the Aiel are as a people. It's already been told to us from Tom Marilyn, but now we see it. A nine-month pregnant woman, I mean, not to ruffle any feathers, you assume that men have more physical strength than a woman. And this pregnant woman takes on a, a small like garrison of troops. There were like a solid six or seven people there, and she just like 
slices him up mid contraction. She like kills someone. Ah, and then she just like takes care of business on the next person. And I think our dragon reborn is going to put the, that bloodline or those genetics to good use. I, I think that's just going to solidify that he's going to be a badass with the sword or whatever weapon he picks up besides the arrow i love that too because i agree like i think he's going to be a badass warrior but now he's we also know that the dragon reborn is also capable of being the strongest like magic user of all time so not only is he going to be just a warrior he like if he ever loses (laughs) his ability to touch the one power like he'll be fine the dude can still wield a sword spoiler free comment it's just kind of common sense at this point. Ran is just an absolute savage. Yep. It's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be so fun. I, wanna, I hope to, to watch some Dragon scenes. Reborn, baby. I want to see some sword training because we already seen his ability to use the bow. Like he's already like he can pick off you know bullseyes easily. So I want to see some sword training in there, Rans. Now what's something I just thought of, Dave? You brought up that he's Dragon Reborn, supposed to be the most powerful channel or whatever. All men who can channel are subject to the corruption. So, and I, I also think it was good foreshadowing the conversation between Matt and Rand when they were just like, if I ever get that way, kill me. You think they're, they're referencing Matt because at the time he is under the corruption, but it seems like foreshadowing to when Rand will inevitably have to deal with the corruption. He's the DR, so he'll overcome it, of course, but like, I wonder how it affects the DR if it's different than just a normal man, uh, or if he's just going to be good enough to overcome it. And even to go off that, I didn't even think about this either, is Rand is already the one of the group that is most questioning of the Aes Sedai, especially like the red ones. Mm -hmm. So it's like, now that he knows he's the Dragon Reborn and he knows he can channel, it's like, what is he going to do? What are you going to do? You know, he's just, he's, is he going to stay at the white tower? Is he going to be like, Oh, this bit, like, you know, fucking Leanne, uh, what's her name? Leandrin is going to fucking come for me. It's just, it was a, honestly a great build up for brand to be the, the, the dragon reborn because of all these issues that he's experiencing. And looking back, it's easy for me. Like, Oh yeah, that makes sense now, but it's just crazy. It's just, uh, I like that you guys are picking out all these potential <laughs> conflicts because, I mean, they, they have laid the groundwork for a lot of them. I'm interested help. to also see Leandrin's perspective on finding out that the Dragon Reborn will be a guy. Like, I wonder if she's going to be on the, the train of, like, we got to just clean him now because he's going to go mad no matter what. Or if it's because, like, if he's a Dragon Reborn, is he immune potentially to the madness? Before we move on from the blood snow and kind of Rand's a little bit of his origin story, just want to shout out Tam Althor. Everyone else that is in his army is trying to kill this woman. He realizes what's happening and holds her hand through labor like a fucking savage. So just shout out to the goat. He's the fucking, he's the dad of the year every year. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's like how, yeah. how SpongeBob yeah. wins employee of the month of the Krusty Krab. Tam just wins dad of the year every year. Yep. So to take us back to another interesting um, concept that we get introduced to, but that we've kind of talked about a little bit, Luke loves this, and it's, I guess it's a little sad that he's not on the instant reaction, but he'll probably be on the deep dive to talk more about it. But the ways. So we have the blood snow as our opening cold scene, and then we get back to the main people, and we're inside the ways. So I'm just curious, what were we thinking about how the set looked? They do do the black wind, which I thought was an interesting interpretation of it. The stakes for me felt very serious. I watched with my sister. She was freaking out, so I'm just curious how the two of you thought about it. I think they did a really good job of raising the stakes quickly. And some people might have quarrels with, oh, they were able to get out of there so quick, though. But I I think they did a good job of establishing that without the trump card that was Nynaeve to buy them, what was it, 
a solid 30 seconds for Mori Brain to open the portal, they could have very well been screwed. I think they weren't able to press it very hard. Everybody only got one line of that inner monologue, but having someone take over your mind and implant voices, that's very invasive. That's disturbing. And that would be that would be a bad situation. If they were in there for an extended period of time, I think they were showing us that they would have been screwed. So I think the stakes were raised. They got in. I thought it was a little gimmicky where they were just like, our waypoint is a day's walk away. What's the next closest one? Oh, it's two steps that way. Cool. Let's go to that one. But like, <laughs> and also that that one just happened to be, oh, the city that's one day's march away from where they need to go anyway. So why were they trying to go through the waypoint for a day's walk? Like, I don't know. I was getting away from my point. It was very good. I thought it was a good representation. And were either of you guys on Shadow and Bone? No. No. Okay. Well, there's there's a landmark in Shadow and Bone called The Void that it's very, very similar. Just this pitch black darkness that you can travel through. It connects. Oh, I think they actually, they mentioned it, I think, in episode six. So who I think it was Luke and Paul who were on uh, Shadow and Bone who were like, yeah, that's exactly the same thing. Yeah, very similar concept, but it was cool. This one was a lot more safe than The Void was in Shadow and Bone, if that says anything about that. But it it was very good, and I think the set design looked appropriate. I'm not a book reader, so I can't compare, but it looked pretty good. I'm going to go off B-Toms and say I think the set looked amazing for it. It was also interesting, uh, Loyal talking about how it used to be. It sounded like Mm. he he made it seem like it was like a field almost. like It was just like open greenery, like it was a beautiful place to be, and then something happened. And then now all of a sudden it's just completely black. You just end up falling for the rest of your life. You fall over the stones. It's just like, what an intense travel method. Like, yes, it has its benefits. Like it's, it'll save you. It sounds like weeks of travel, but at the same time, like you could fucking will not die, but just eternity, just killing yourself basically. Yeah. I mean, you would definitely, I feel like just yeet yourself off of that bridge. I mean, if it's between just chilling inside the black wind or jumping into nothingness, I feel like eventually you would get to a point where you would just jump into nothingness. Yeah. And then I really liked the black wind too. That was just really cool. B times it reminded me of Aeolith or Aeolith from Loki, the big cloud monster that just like Mm. swarms and just destroys everything. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But thought it was a really cool interesting idea because it seemed like they were bugs and i guess the bugs were kind of like whispering to them and we get a lot of people's inner monologues in that moment the only person we don't get is loyal who i'm going to theorize now could potentially be a dark friend because we know that they need uh to, to navigate through the ways you need to know gear or someone who can at least read the guide stones and we've met loyal and it just leads to the question of like who was the person to lead the Trollocs through the way gates or how, because that's how they, they determined that that's how they got to the two rivers. So someone had opened up the path for them to be able to travel through the ways. And it shows that maybe not all Ogiers are very gentle and kind. Maybe there's a little bit of logic and truth to what they're doing. You know, maybe there's some kind of Thanos plot behind the Ogiers. You know, the world is getting overpopulated. Let's cut out some of these people. Let's help with the dark one. And then we'll reset the world into a place that, you know, a little bit more peace will come because they are a little they are very logical beings, it seems. And so I just it, it's an interesting theory that I came up with. But this is something because we saw one of the uh, guide stones was also destroyed. So who did that? I don't know. Maybe loyal. Loyal is the dark one confirmed. Yeah, loyal is the dark one. Yeah. Yeah. So I I try to strike a nice balance of letting you guys theorize and then try to provide some supplemental information, but they, they do answer that question of how mm. the Trollocs got through the way. So 
This is a good segue even to just adding Patton Fain into the discussion. So obviously he plays a little bit of a, an important role in this episode. Was definitely a big reveal that he is there and using the ways. So I guess they technically don't confirm it, but that's land theorizes that like, okay, that's how the Trollocs got to the two rivers is that Patton Fain was the person that, that led them through there. Ugh. Just makes so much sense. Like just yeah. with how he was acting in episode one. And then we see him at uh, what's the new city? Fall Dara. Yeah, Faldara. Bar- Faldara and Perrin makes that comment like, oh, that was Pat and Fane and he's like, no, it wasn't. Like, you're just crazy right now. But oh my God, if Pat and Fane was such a like a likable character, like he was just a very charismatic guy, but that like, oh, that would just be devastating to be honest. I would hate that. It would be a great twist, though. It would be a phenomenal twist because we do see that figure who I didn't I just completely forgot yeah. about. But he was yeah, in so Ka- did we did have we seen Pat and Fane anywhere besides episode one and then briefly when what's his face like glances in this parent sees him in this episode so they've done a good job of hiding this obviously there's a little bit in episode one that they give you that he's not phased by this trollic attack mm-hmm. but you'd think that you don't see him until this episode but he's he's in episode two he's in episode six no five and then now he's in this episode so in episode two he has um he has an audio cue so we meet him in episode one he's whistling on his little peddler wagon and episode two when matt is when he wakes up in shatter logoth and is kind of like then he wanders out you hear the whistling again in basically the streets of shatter logoth you see the the little shadow that runs by on the wall and then episode five when rand and matt get to tarvalon he is watching them walk into the inn he's in the procession of Loghain coming through the streets. He's like coming in and out of stores, storefronts, basically. And then he is in the ways as well. Lan has a comment where he says, someone's following us or something is following us. Moraine agrees. Oh Lightning flashes and it's Pat and Fane just standing there behind oh. them. So this is just, so, that's so crazy. The audio cues. Fuck, man. This already got rewatch value. Yeah. I'm just wondering like what, what his deal is. Can he channel or just like, I mean, I'm I'm inferring based on this information that he is shady and all over the place that he's affiliated with the Dark One. He he is suspect to be a dark friend. But like, can he channel? How can he activate the way the waypoints? Yeah, the waypoints way and gates. how way gates, excuse me. How can he track land without being fully detected? Or I guess he could be detected, but you know what I mean? Like what what makes this guy so special? Why is he so powerful? Now that we have the Dragon Reborn out of the way, it's like, okay, now who the fuck is Pat and Fane? Like, Dragon Reborn to Pat and Fane, let's go. I'm so that's, in. That, that that's, was, such a funny, <laughs> that's such a funny mystery jump. Like, okay. Yes, it is. Right. Line's over. Now, I love that. We're just like, now we're focusing on Pat and Fane. It's the Pat and Fane show. Oh, my God. He was a crazy. good character, too, because he kind of got highlighted in episode one. Um, And it does kind of concern me about you know, maybe he could find his way back to Matt because they went out of their way to establish a rapport between Matt and Pat and Fane in episode one when they had, you know, he bought lanterns and he was just like, oh, I've been coming to you for the past five years, whatever. Like they know each other. And now Matt is a little lost lamb. They emphasize that really in the uh, the recaps of one to six for uh, episodes one to six for episode seven, because out of nowhere, when I was even watching it, they just showed that flash clip of Matt walking up to Pat and Fane and then him escaping. And it's like, okay, that was really interesting. And that just made me think like, okay, Matt m- must be searching for him because maybe that's someone he can talk to. That's not just the Amon's field five. And he, he has a little potential friend. So maybe he's going to go searching him out. But 
what I find now that I'm even talking as like, what's really interesting is that we've heard that the wheel <laughs> always will bring you to what your destiny is supposed to be essentially. And so the fact that Matt might be potentially looking for Pat and Fane, who is now with the Amon's field quote four, we'll say, and it's, it'll be interesting to see how he somehow gets incorporated back to this in season two, because obviously we know that he won't be in episode, the next episode because of whatever issues were going on. Hopefully everything with the actor is okay, but just really interested to see how Matt is going to approach this. And like you said, B-Toms, his relationship with Pat and Fane, who now we are on the side of he's a dark friend. It's like, okay, now Matt might be going down that Raymundo from Shaolin showdown path of just darkness. I appreciate that, Shaolin. That, that's, I believe, the second Shaolin Showdown uh, reference you've brought to the Wheel of Time so. podcast. So. I think it is. Yep. Yeah. So big I think it's both that. been in the same context, though. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, both it, comparing it, that. Rame- yeah, Because, I mean, Raymundo, like the, the concept of Shaolin Showdown is one of the four main characters will become like that apprentice or whatever the, the main guy yeah. in the next season. So that's, yeah. it's very similar concept. Mm-hmm. Yes. Same, yeah. same. Yeah. Same, same. It's, <laughs> Yeah, we've basically established that Pat and Fane is is King Sus, and I just think now the the question is going to be what level, you know, how deep is he? So our destination from the Waygate, as Btom said, was not initially Faldara, but we end up at Faldara. So Faldara gives us an introduction to people from the Borderlands, Borderlanders. This is these specifically are Shinarans. They don't tell us that yet, but that is who they are. And we meet a uh, we meet Agomar, who is the kind of the leader of the Shinarans first impressions of this new culture and group of people that we've met at first i really what's his name again sorry it's i gotta get this agomar agomar i didn't write it in my notes so now of course i'm gonna just be struggling with it but at first of course i was like this guy's a fucking dick because moraine's coming he's like i gotta tell you something he's like we don't need your help and moraine's like no like you should probably hear what i'm gonna say like the trollocs have been using the way gates to teleport to different areas of the world so border that shit up and watch out for it and he's like you know what? I appreciate that. So at first he was a dick, but I think there's a a little bit of more logic to him. I think he is definitely very much about protecting his people and his land. And he's makes me kind of actually like him a little bit. I think he's a very interesting character and he, his character design is very badass looking. So I would love to see this guy in, in battle with someone for sure. Definitely a little bit of a dick, but I think there's room to grow if he, if he keeps being a mainstay character for me personally. Yeah, I think he was just very prideful in in his city, his culture, and what the city does, the service that they provide for the rest of the world in protecting, in his eyes, he protects everyone from the blight, which is just, seems to be pure evil from what they've shown us in this episode. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The wheels were turning. Yeah, 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 yeah. But pride is the word that comes to mind when I think of him. Awesome character design. He mentioned, I I forget exactly what he says, but he says, you'll always have an ally here so long as the Black Hawk flies. Is the Black Hawk like the mantle of the leader of Baldara? I thought that was him. I thought it was him. I took it as him. Because he has like feathers on his armor and stuff. I think that's his like family, his family sigil or standard, whatever gotcha. uh, you would like to call it. Yeah, the, the Shinarans are great. I fucking I love the Borderlanders. They're amazing. We've we've known for a little bit now that Lan is a Borderlander, so it was kind of inevitable that they were also going to be badass. I just mm. one quick comment I will make that um the guy with the eye patch who like greets Lan like an old friend, mm-hmm. legend. That guy's a big fan favorite <laughs> character. Okay, cool. So, 
Yeah, we'll we'll get more of that guy. He's definitely a beast. Eye patch nice. has already raised your coolness like a little bit, so there's always a high a higher expectations if you have a high a high patch on an eye patch on, <laughs> just an eye patch that gets you high all day. <laughs> it's like Kempachi's, but in reverse, it just gets <laughs> yeah, you high. <laughs> it just totally affects your ability to do anything. <laughs> I had um, to wear I, an eye patch in fifth grade. You did have to do. I totally forgot oh, yeah. about that. I um, remember that cranial nerve palsy, baby. Look it up. B. Thomas has Read been through it. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Look at you um, now, though. I do have. <laughs> yeah. I do have a question. Is he the king of that people, or is he the king of the Borderlands? No, I would say neither to those questions. He okay. is just like the Lord of Faldara. So Faldara okay. is like a city within a kingdom, and then the Borderlands are made up of multiple kingdoms. That are that border the blight. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So the, the borderland meeting a bunch of different cultures that are similar in that like level of pride and that they fight against the blight like that, but they mm. do have some differences to them. Okay. I'm wondering how they interact with each other if they're kind of like adversaries or if they're all fighting for the same cause, like we're team borderlands against the blight. But you know, if you're that prideful in close proximity, think about heads. I, I agree with that. I thought Faldara as a city looked great. I loved like the cinematic shots of it where it's like kind of on a little bit of that like hill. And then like you see in the distance, we have kind of that gap in the mountains that leads into the blight. Thought they nailed that. It looked that fun. gap had a name, didn't it? Tarwin's Gap. Yes, that is Tarwin's Gap. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> Look at you, V Tom's picking up. It reminded yeah. me a lot of like a Star Wars, like uh, Luke Skywalker's home, home area kind of village. Tatooine. Yeah, Tatooine. Yeah. I don't know. It was a very like it felt like dust. Was it like a dust bowl kind of area? Like there wasn't a lot of green, right? Like I didn't. No. Yeah. No. I mean, a lot of places close to the blight like that. Shit yeah, doesn't just, really grow. So. That makes sense. And also, actually, it's it's a strategic thing as well. They they cut down a lot of the forest around the city, so things can't hide in a forest close to the walls. Mm-hmm. Well, while we're on the subject of the blight. What is the blight? So is it like a living being? Like if you shoot fire at it, will it like all of it burn or like what's going on with it? Like I understand that it's like encroaching and like kind of creeping everywhere, but like is there a way to stop it besides maybe killing the dark one, I guess? So essentially everything that's behind the blight is kind of the dark one's hq so it's essentially kind of the border between normal nice land and (laughs) regular people and then the dark one's territories right so then as the dark one gets stronger and exerts more of an influence on the world when lan mentions his backstory a little bit how he's the king of malkir malkir has fallen to the blight but malkir is actually north of faldara like through that gap almost Mm. clearly not there anymore because the blight has swallowed it up so it is a living kind of thing. I mean, it, it's a collection of, of living things that are attacking almost the regular land. But uh, I wouldn't say there's a way to directly attack it. It's more of like an extension of the Dark One's power. So it does It does seem weird, though, because the King of Faldara seemed prideful in that we've been fighting against the Blight, unless that's a catch-all term for everything that comes out of the Blight, like Trellux fades etc but there has to be some sort of way if it's if it can just keep advancing with no resistance then eventually faldara is going to just get overrun period like that will happen but he did not seem to be under that impression i think that's the combo of the pride okay and and also that that is a concept yes that Mm -hmm. kind of the idea that the blight is almost unstoppable will end up being a plot point gotcha 
they mentioned it, I think a couple times, the blight. And I was watching with my sister and she was like, well, the blight, like what's the blight? So I was really glad that at the end of the episode, they give us that visual of it. Mm -hmm. I think that might've really helped explain it to people. I do just kind of want to bring up one other character that we meet in that throne room of Baldara. It's, I didn't catch her name, but she seemed to be like the princess. I guess we find out that she is Baldara's wisdom, uh, but was also the king's younger sister. Yeah, so that is, her name is Lady Amalisa. That is, Amalita. that is, yeah, that's Aglemar's sister. Maureen mentions that she has the serpent ring. She's been to the White Tower. There's kind of like a ceremonious thing where a lot of kingdoms or um, cities will send prominent nobles to the White Tower for like symbolic training. So she has a little bit of a connection with Aes Sedai and Moraine specifically. So did Moraine say she said something to the effect of you weren't strong enough to join our ranks? So are there some women that can channel but just don't make the cut like if you recall in episode one when moraine and nynaeve have that conversation about mm-hmm. the old wisdom that raised nynaeve right and nynaeve was under the assumption that the white tower turned her away because she was a peasant but in reality it's that she just wasn't strong enough in the power to be okay. accepted and then she obviously took that personal and then passes her bias down to nynaeve so that that becomes a thing gotcha their, their whole mindset is that they won't raise you to eyes to die, but they'll teach you enough so basically you don't kill yourself. Well, that's good. That's yeah, good, good for them. <laughs> yeah. They have a little bit of a heart. So were you going to say something? I'm sorry. No, just uh, she was an interesting character, and I kind of like that look into what a wisdom is and how they differentiate from a full-blown eyes to die. Hmm. So it, it was good to highlight that character, I think. I don't know if she has the title of wisdom. I think wisdom is more of a something that happens in their area of the world, unless mm. the show changed that and I missed it. But she she definitely plays a very prominent role in Faldara. I could have sworn they referred to her as a wisdom, but I if if you didn't catch it, then I'm probably mistaken. Yeah, I mean, we can also we're going to watch the episode again before the deep dive. So if it does come up, I'll uh, we'll I'll call it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. Appreciate that. I talked around it a little bit, but we find out more about Lan's backstory in some steamy scenes with Nynaeve. So Mm. this has kind of been building up all season that they were going to get to this point. I personally loved it. I'm just curious if what our thoughts are that they've now taken this next step that they've been physically intimate. I'm a big fan of the shipment, the ship, the ship, the shipping, (laughs) the shipping of Nynaeve and Lan. I like that. I'm just a little bit more curious now, I guess, on the relationship between a warder and uh, his Aes Sedai, uh, because it it feels like there maybe isn't a level of romance to it, but I guess just like the ultimate BFFs, like, because Lan and Moraine, we obviously have seen, like, they aren't physically intimate with each other, but Lan does do a lot of explaining that, you know, she gave me a reason to live and gave me someone to die for at the same time. So it's, he was using words that weren't really romantic, but just more so like I would follow this woman to the ends of the world. So I, I was just, I guess I'm trying to decide if there can be romanticism between the two or if it can be just also plutonic. That That's my biggest question is, is, is it commonplace for a warder to be romantically involved with her Aes Sedai? Because I, I don't think we've seen it yet. And we know they bang. Some of them bang. We know that. Like, Do we? Yeah. The green chick in episode okay. four had like two or three warders because she's like, one just isn't enough for me. Like, I want to be satisfied kind of. So. Okay. I'm uh, but again, that. so that like that kind of makes me feel a little like she again. So, Kyle, maybe you can just take the reins here. But 
is does it have to be plutonic? Do there does there have to be love in a sense or? I would say there's no rules to it. It's completely up to you. Just a big trust maybe between the yeah, two. Yeah, I wouldn't say that it's commonplace. It's definitely a thing that happens. I think that the the real interesting wrinkle to this scenario is that Nynaeve is not his Aes Sedai. Mm-hmm. So he is not bonded to her. So that's kind of the, the issue that's going on here is that Lan is bonded to Moraine, but Lan is in love with Nynaeve. And we know that warders can change... Aes Sedai. It's like very rare, right? But they can, if they want to, can change Aes Sedai. Moraine does bring that concept up, yes. Yes, okay. Well, from everything we know about Lan, it doesn't necessarily tell us that he's in any position to want to jump ships like that. Maybe he would if their relationship escalates and he wants to protect her to that level, but he also respects the hell out of Moiraine. That much is obvious. Kyle, was the last episode that I said that I thought Moraine was going to eventually, maybe not this season, but like later down the line, die? Did I? Did, I feel like I said that on podcasts in one of the episodes. I believe you mentioned it in episode six. I mean, I'm sorry, episode five. Okay, I forget why I made that choice, but now that makes even more. Now I'm just only going to bring that up because my thoughts on that are only getting more confirmed because I think Moraine could potentially die, leaving Lan alone, but he has Nynaeve to potentially bond to and become the warder of so that's kind of just fueling a little bit more of that theory that moraine i don't think is going to be a uh, an end game character let's say you've uh you've called that both moraine and swan are going to die i think swan's definitely going to die yes <laughs> okay yes just want to just want to clarify and then that that depression from swan dying is going to make moraine just like more <laughs> accepting of death she's not going to kill herself but like if she's in a battle she'll just be like okay like if this is it I at least get to be with Swan, and then boom, lands like, all right, Nynaeve, I'm all yours, baby. So that's what I think is going to happen. While you brought up Swan, I want to say, <laughs> because I wasn't on the episode, awesome character, really liked that intro, showing her humble beginnings, and then the stone-cold leader that she turned into, that was just really well done, and I already have a lot of respect for the character. Yeah, she is fantastic, and the casting a one it's just everything <laughs> yeah. about the character they nailed that but actually very nice segue speaking of moraine and swan into we talked a little bit about min who is the seer the bartender that we meet mm. she gives moraine that vision that the amarillin seat will be your downfall i don't mm. necessarily want to talk about that specifically i just want to generally min's character her ability and then what she says about the um the four characters that are in the inn with them i thought she was so cool that's that's a great ability to have. It's very unique, even in in terms of this world. It seems like that you don't see Sears very often. Uh, I also like that she could care less about it, too. And she was kind of giving Moiraine the workaround, trying to be like, ah, yeah, I see this kind of whatever. And I guess I'll, I'll take the lead and define what she saw in each of our characters. So Perrin just had yellow eyes and blood down his chin. Uh, Rand was carrying a baby boy or just a baby. Uh, and then our two girls, there was a white flame and a gold ring for the girls, but those were not specified who was who. Oh, and they God. were all connected with sparks that were trying to be enveloped by shadow. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do some, some mansplaining here on my thoughts <laughs> for all this. So the Rand one was very interesting. Uh, very quickly yeah, yeah, yeah. before you start, Go ahead. do you want to save this for the deep dive? Or do you that's actually that's good. Now? That's that's actually a really good point. That's deep dive material. Yeah. Um. Then for instant reaction purposes, I'll just say that now that I've thought about it a little bit more, I think the 
the white flame has to be associated with Nynaeve because of what happened in episode four. Loghain literally says like a burning white sun or whatever, whatever that line is. So that's mm-hmm. Nynaeve. And then the gold ring would le- be left for Egwene, who in I've already called it in multiple episodes. I think she's just going to become an Aes Sedai or whatever that, because um, we saw the gold ring on, uh, what's her name? The sister Lady of- Lady Amalisa. And so I don't know if, well, no, she's uh, gold ring is going to be Aes Sedai. I just assume that Egwene's going to be an Aes Sedai. So that's what, who I'm going to characterize both those prophecies for. But really cool character in men. Can she see future visions for everyone or like, is it specific people? Like, that would just, if she could see it for everyone, that would just be terrible because it's like, I look at this person, <laughs> I see death, and then I look at that person, I see like crazy. So the, it's not like a hard line, it's a little bit ambiguous. But it's mostly people that are very important to the wheel and what they call the pattern, which is kind of essentially destiny. So obviously our main characters of the television show Mm -hmm. are important characters in the world or people in the world, I guess you could say. So people like that have very strong, she has very strong viewings or visions. Aes Sedai obviously play big roles in people's lives. They have very strong viewings. Kings, queens, people like that, they have very strong viewings. Other people are usually... Not at all, or very, very like vague or, or unclear. She's a great character, though. People love that character. She's definitely a fan favorite. I'm a big Min fan, especially on so on my reread too. Like Dave had mentioned that the show with the Pat and Fane stuff is like, wow, that's so ripe for like a rewatch. Yes, this entire series is ripe for a rewatch. I'm rereading the books, and I, I really the reread might even be better than the initial read. So. We have a lot of, uh, of questions, I would say, going. I, it's funny because we got a lot of like a big reveal this episode, but mm-hmm. now we're left with more questions almost going into episode eight Definitely. of what's going to happen next. So I think that's exciting. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> there's one part of the episode that we have to, I guess, throw into the instant reaction that I personally hate with every fiber of my being. But the whole love <laughs> triangle between Egwene, Perrin, and Rand, that whole Ooh. kind of argument that they have, not a fan of it. Don't think it was necessary. I guess I'm just curious of people with your virgin eyes, not knowing anything about the series. What was the thought kind of of them basically saying that Perrin was in love with the queen? So my first question is, is that a thing in the books? That's a bit of a tricky question. It's like very loosely hinted at that Perrin has a crush on a queen. It's like okay. maybe maybe two lines happen in book one, never touched again. It's just for me personally. And I'm a big Perrin guy, so I think like I'm protective of Perrin's character. And I think it paints him in a little bit of a bad light because it's like, A, he's a little unfaithful to his wife that he murdered six episodes ago. And B, like he kind of seems almost like a bad friend in a way. So I'm personally not a fan. It did feel a little forced. I'm not going to like say I hated it. I just, it just kind of like we brushed on it. It seems like it's for the most part for right now, it's squashed. It could come back later, but. It did. It was whatever, I guess. I didn't really care. Yeah, I don't ship it either. I think it did a good job of just how that conversation would go. And as tensions were rising, like that was a good thing to make tensions come to a head. And after that, everybody can just storm off and then we can progress the plot. I don't ship it. It seemed unnecessary and a little bit forced. Um, But at the same time, if this is where they squash it in this story and it really doesn't get touched on again that would be fine with me so i'm okay with it yeah i think that's the end of it i hate it 
I will say, though, this scene, they also brought up Matt and Egwene and Nynaeve were adamant. He left us. You know, he ditched us. He left us in the dust. He's a bad guy. And one, I love that rain. Rain. <laughs> I love that rant. Just without blinking, stuck up for him against his, like, true love, Egwene. He was just like, you You never liked him. And if anybody knows about leaving us, it's you. I thought that was just such a dig. They keep coming back to that, like, in Friends, they keep coming back to, we were on a break but i love that because it is just always gonna be such a burn against her and and her and naive were being annoying in that scene because when you look at a character like matt and kind of the home that he comes from it's a broken home with his parents that are bad you said that wasn't in the books kyle but like he is the de facto good parent in that broken household he is going to go into this mystical fantastic journey with a lot more realism and when Moy Rain says, we're we're taking on the Dark One. Only one of you is the DR. He would be like, I'm Matt. I like yeah. <laughs> these are my beginnings. Like, I, I'm not okay. Of the five of us, let's be honest. I am last in the packing order of possible Dragon Reborns. I want nothing to do with this. I'm just being honest. And if I go through the void, I'm gonna get dragged into it. This is my out. I I I don't fault him. I just don't. I'm a Matt fan. Is what I'm telling you guys. I like I, it. I, I fuck with I, it. I, I kind of like the character, and I, I I'm rooting for him to do what's right. But I think he's gonna have a really rocky path coming up. To not end on such a sour note. With yeah. This. Thank you. <laughs> no, you're okay. You're okay. We'll, we'll move into our episode rating so we can bring a little positivity to the end of the episode. But I will say that there's been a couple things you guys have said about Matt's character this episode that I'm gonna try to remember and write down that we'll look back on and it's going to be a good time cool cool Love Love I, I think you guys have pegged matt as the character pretty well so i think that's honestly a good nod to the show mm-hmm. as well. so episode ratings i will go last because people care about my opinion the least so mm-hmm. the two of you can duke it out for whoever wants to go first he times the newbie welcome give us your rating damn okay um so these are always tough especially since you want to give yourself room for growth and if we're going to have Go ahead, Dave, if you I want just, to chime in. No, I just also wanted to say just you could also maybe give <laughs> us like like top three episodes also with your rating as well, because you're a new face to the podcast. And we also would like to hear what your favorite episodes have been as well. If I'm being honest, I, they kind of blend together with it's where hardest. one ends and one begins. It's I really you, liked yeah. I really liked the Tom Marilyn episode where they highlighted him in the village and the introduction of the Dark Friends. That would have been mm-hmm. episode two. I think maybe three. Three, Okay. Episode three. Um, And I just remember the last two episodes being really, really good. It's been all rise since episode three. (laughs) Let's put it that way. But I also really enjoyed episode one, the latter half with the Trolloc attack. Mm -hmm. I I, I really love this series so far, but it's been all rise since episode three, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. That said, these Mm -hmm. are always tough because you want to give yourself room for growth and we're going to have possibly 10 seasons of this i hope this isn't the highest of highs and i i know that the fandom it's being received very very well but i'm gonna give it an eight and a half 8.5 out of 10 uh i thought it i'm gonna give it an eight out of 10 actually (laughs) because while we get the dragon reborn reveal and a lot of really good exposition world building that doesn't really feel forced like not a lot a lot actually happens in this episode the intro was a 10 out of 10 i'll say that i i I loved that reveal but that's all it was it was a reveal of information it wasn't like a long stretch of good watching material so i'm gonna give it an 8 out of 10 shit i forgot to mention this (laughs) we're gonna we're gonna (laughs) sidetrack a little bit i just want to say that i feel like uh 
Moraine is really going off the deep end after having contact with the, the black wind. Sorry, I know you I just had to throw that in there. I, <laughs> I just want people to know that I'm on the money with my predictions. But Moraine is going off the deep end. She's looking a little pale when her and uh, Rand are about to go into the blight. So I'm interested to see what happens in episode eight with her going off the deep end a little bit. So going off that, Dave, I do want to say maybe that has something to do with the fact that she just severed or what did he say? Blinded her bond to land. So she masked it. So it's still there. It's just that it's not at the level where they can feel each other's feelings and kind of sense where each other are. Okay. Gotcha. All right. But that being said, this episode, dude, I don't think too hard about it. It's a reaction one. And I think that it's important to when we do the episode ratings to think about it, I think in the context of the season itself, don't put so much pressure on yourself. I'm giving it a a nine out of 10. That's what I gave episode four. These two are, I, I have to just say, they're tied for my favorite episodes. I can't pick one over the other. I really love this episode. I just... My my screaming like when Rand we find out Rand was the Dragon Reborn I'm just like holy shit no fucking way I just really liked it I'll give it a nine out of ten it's tied for with episode four is my favorite so far what was episode four again that was like the big battle that was Logan's like moment gotcha. that was when Logan yeah, breaks out you guys out. loved yeah. Logan I love <laughs> you guys love Logan um, but yeah I'll give it a nine out of ten this was just the wheel of time keeps impressing me. And that one point, like it could be a 10 out of 10 episode, a couple of years down the line. But just like Kyle said, in this moment, as we've been comparing, comparing these season episodes, I'll compare it to four, which I think is a nine out of 10 and saving that 10 out of 10, hopefully for eight. We'll see. I have been going back and forth in my head between an eight and a half and a nine. There's just so many good parts to this episode. Like B. Tom said, the, the opening scene, the blood snow stuff is one of my favorite sequences of television. I feel like I've watched in a long time. The the Dragon Reborn reveal with everything with the arrows and him having the flashbacks and hitting the bullseye. Like, I honestly, I'll say it like I, I, I shed a tear a little bit because it's like, that's my boy Rand. And we're finally now it's out there in the world. Like everyone knows that he's the Dragon Reborn. And I know that like what this really means for him. So it was very emotional for me. But I'm going to settle in just fire off the hip eight and a half. Nice. How many episodes are going to be in season one? This is the, the next one's the finale. That's it. Hey, okay. That's that's kind of what I figured. Trying to hop back in. Hop back in for that uh, eight reaction. I mean, man, if I got an invite, you know. It's a, <laughs> I mean, we're all binge town. Of course, it's, it's yeah. open invite. And I think eight would be a good one to have five of us just because we can all gush over it. And yeah. Yeah. The it's wheel wheels as the about. wheel wills. Mm-hmm. We will see what happens. All right. That is all she wrote. Episode seven. Instant reaction in the books. B. Toms, it was a pleasure. Um, I hope you had fun. I hope Happy everyone to be here. Your perspective, yeah, it's always fun. I mean, I love having the non-book readers on the show. So I hope that um, I hope you had a blast because I, I really like your perspective on a lot of things. I think you, honestly speaking with you, changed my perspective on the episode. I think I like some things a little more now. So uh, kudos to you and. Everyone out there, if you liked B. Tom's, if you liked the three of us, obviously, you could follow us, Instagram, Twitter, BingetownTV.com, a website, BingetownTV.com. Oh, .com's not in our handles. I do that often, but don't type in <laughs> .com when you're searching us on social media. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. First of all, please throw us a comment to, to keep the discussion going. We love chatting with you guys in the comments. Like, subscribe, and that's all I got. Let's go. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.